to Preparing for the Unexpected with Alex Bullock. People, organizations, and communities need to prepare for and respond to natural and man-made disasters in a timely manner and in the most effective way possible. Our program examines what is being done before, during, and after a disaster and those unexpected events to keep you in the know. Disasters can happen to anyone. The question is, when will it happen to you? Now, here is your host, business continuity and disaster planning expert, Alex Bullock. And welcome to another episode of Preparing for the Unexpected. I'm your host, Alex Fullick, and as always, we like to talk about things related to disaster recovery, business continuity, COVID-19, crisis management, anything that's relatable to those subjects. Speaking of, of which, if there is something you'd like us to talk about on the show, or you'd like to talk about something on the show, please go to the Voice America page. There's a button underneath the graphic for the show that uh, you can send me an email. I do respond to all emails. Also, if there, if you'd like to promote a product or service, uh, advertising, you can reach me the same way and I can get you some information. A reminder, I am speaking at the Continuity and Resilience Today conference, uh, the virtual conference now that would have been here in Toronto, uh, October 7th and 8th. I believe I am speaking on the 8th. So hopefully uh, you can join us and listen in. I'm also speaking at the BCI World Conference, which would have been in Birmingham, UK, um, which is now also virtual, November 5th and 6th. So tune in for that. And I'd like to thank everybody at Stone Road and their product, BoastAssessment.com, where you can self-monitor your program progress and uh, identify your gaps and uh, align your resources accordingly. So thanks, everyone at Stone Road. Today is our monthly chat with our regular returning guest, Regina Phelps. Regina, welcome back. Alex, it's such a great pleasure to be with you. We have, of course, lots to talk about, as always. We do. There is so much going on right now. And uh, let's face it, not a lot of it is positive. (laughs) Yeah, well... Yeah, I'm afraid that's the case. I mean, after anybody would listen to us talk for an hour, they'd think, oh, my gosh, I think I'm just going to go back to bed for a little bit. <laughs> yeah, those two are depressing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we try not to be, but what can we say, right? Yeah. <laughs> well, let's start <laughs> off Let's start off where we, we normally do. What What's the current status with COVID-19? What's going on in the world? Well, you know, it's fascinating. I think the, uh, the United States continues to be um, the leader in in both um, uh, kind of poor management, if you will, and case count so far, and uh, deaths. Um, that's probably going to change, however, in the next couple of weeks, well, maybe about another month, and India may actually surpass us in number of cases uh, and uh, perhaps even deaths. The um, situation across the globe is really changing a lot. So the United States, we can talk about uh, over this course of this uh, uh, broadcast, but the U.S. has started to have cases slow, but we're still really, really high. So I don't want people to pat themselves on the back. You know, we went from having, you know, 70,000 cases almost in one day to now we're yeah. down to some more reasonable number. I don't know, like 30,000. So it's still astronomical and we still have lots of deaths every day. In some cases, still a thousand a day. Uh, but now we're seeing, um, spikes across the globe. And so you'll seeing in Europe, France, Spain, Israel just announced just a moment ago that they're doing another shutdown, uh, mm-hmm. nas- nationwide shutdown. So there's a lot of, 
of angst, if you will, about what's happening as the virus continues to uh, spread. It's widely circulating, obviously a very effective um, uh, virus to both uh, not only infect people but also kill them. So we are not any better off, to be honest with you. Alex, until we get a vaccine. So that's sort of the overarching pandemic look. Uh, but there's some interesting studies about the, the fall that we might be able to take some, some glimpse of hope with. And that is what's been happening in the Southern Hemisphere in relationship to influenza. You might have seen some studies that have come out just in the last couple of uh, days, actually. Um, specifically looking at Australia and New Zealand, which, um, have been sort of touting what a great job they've done in their influenza um, season, um, which not that that will change the trajectory of the COVID-19 pandemic in the West, in the Northern Hemisphere, but it means that perhaps we may not have as bad a flu season. So let me just share with you a couple of really interesting data points, if you will. So sure. essentially... Um, there's been about a uh, four-fifths drop in cases in New Zealand and Australia in influenza in this last flu season, which is just ending right now. And what's happened essentially is that they believe not only did they have lockdowns, although they had modest lockdowns by comparison to much of the rest of the world, masking, physical distancing, probably better hand hygiene, has actually resulted in a really dramatic drop in the overall number of cases of influenza, but also the deaths. So the WHO, which reports and has studied influenza in all of their member, nation, uh, all of their member nations, which is 197 countries since 1952, in the first two weeks of August, they processed nearly um, 200,000 influenza tests, but... Only 46 of them were positive. That's amazing. Normally, it would be closer to 4,000. So wow. just stop and think about that, Alex. From 4,000 positive cases of influenza to 46 for a two-week period, the first uh, two weeks of August. That's pretty amazing. They also have had a dramatic drop in cases overall and deaths. So they normally have around... Oh, maybe 86,000 people in Australia that test positive for the flu and about 130 people die. This year, they've only had 627 infections total and one death. So that's good. Now, that's that's in direct relation to all the um, COVID-19 activities they've, they've implemented, right? Correct, correct. And, and I, think, I think that's fascinating, Alex, because when you think about it, that means that if we actually practice, you know, masking, physical distancing, and good hand hygiene, we could actually stop the thousands and hundreds of thousands of people that die from the flu every year, which is amazing. Now, so uh, how do I put this gently? All those people that, you know, complain about wearing masks and don't want to Mm. all around the globe, what does that Mm -hmm. say for the upcoming flu season in the Northern Hemisphere? Or what could it say? Well, yeah, (laughs) I was going to talk about that because I think we cannot look to New Zealand and Australia, who have done a stellar job, by the way, in combating Mm. the coronavirus. Uh, I don't think we can take their example and just think, wow, that's going to happen to us. Because as you have pointed out, certainly in America, I don't know about you Canadians, you can speak about that in a second. We are still very resistant, it appears, in wearing masks. And often people who might have them on have them below their nose, I've noticed. 
which, mm-hmm. you know, doesn't do much. <laughs> so if you're not wearing a mask or you're wearing it improperly, uh, you're still not doing physical distancing and your hand hygiene hasn't gotten any better, then what that essentially means is that we're not going to see much of a reduction. If, however, we embrace these three very simple things, we could not make uh, just, we could make a difference in influenza, but we could also make a huge imp- uh, a difference in COVID. So let me ask you then, um, Alex, and you're Canadian, you're Canadians to the north of me. Are, are you doing better in mask wearing and physical distancing? I, I think we are doing better. But there's also an element from what I see uh, recently, the same thing. More people are starting to wear their mask below their nose. And Mm. I don't know if it's because apathy is now starting to sink in or Mm. like information overload where it's, okay, I've Mm -hmm. had enough of this. You know, six months of this, it's, you know, and there are some groups of people now actively coming out and um, having... Uh, demonstrations against the restrictions, you know, the social distancing and the masks. Yet the the premier um, uh, of the province where I live in Ontario and the prime minister and um, in fairness to all the other premiers across the country are still saying, no, you can't be lax. You can't be lax. Mm -hmm. You know, Mm -hmm. but that, that element is now starting to bubble to the surface. And uh, to be honest, some of that is a little bit of an influence because we get so much of our news from South of our border. So, yeah, yes, you know, yes. that, We're anything that happens to you guys you know, always comes up to us. You know, and, mm-hmm. you know, Sorry. And, yeah, <laughs> yeah. So I wish I could I have better news about that one, but yeah, sorry. Yeah, I think I think the p- pandemic fatigue, which we're going to talk about in a little bit, uh, is a big issue. But I think we just have to sort of, as I say to my clients, just get over it. This is our life, right? Uh, yeah. But I think, um, yeah, I think this is going to be a problem. Now, in more compliant countries, certainly if you look at Asia, where they are very comfortable in wearing masks and have a much better uh, grip on that, um, I think they're going to see throughout the course of the winter, a very much a reduced influenza transmission, and they're going to continue to see much lower cases of COVID than we are seeing in Western civilization over here on our side of the pond, so to speak. Well, I, I agree with you on that because um, in preparation for today, I opened up the uh, a website that had listed all the countries, you know, all the cases, all the deaths and everything. Mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. Except, for, except for India, um, it's quite a ways down the list before you get to uh, anywhere um, you know, in, in Southeast Asia and you know, in other areas uh, like yes. Bangladesh. And then it's a, a drop again, you know, yep, uh, yep. until you get to Philippines, Indonesia, you know, and, it, you know, the, because of what you just said, they are much more comfortable. Yes. Yeah, they don't they don't look at it as an infringing on their rights, I think, to a great extent. And yeah, when you look at the John Hopkins site, you'll will see that you have to really start to really scroll down the list before you really start seeing countries that are in in Asia. So I think yeah. I think we are we are we are in in a tenuous position right now, I think in summary for COVID overall, tenuous. And I my greatest fear of course, especially in the northern hemisphere is it's going to get tough in the winter, and and I'll talk more about that in a minute, but there's a couple of other things I just wanted to mention, because I know COVID is our our main conversation today, but there are also, frankly, a bunch of other things going on, which I'm Mm -hmm. sure you're sort of following from from the north, and that is that we have, you know, the western part of the United States is on fire. I happen to live in San Francisco, and we have had um, 
so much significant impacts to our air quality. So this morning, I just checked just before I got on this call, the EP rating is 194 uh, right now, which is uh, extremely unhealthy before it gets to above 200, which is very unhealthy. Um, and we've been that way uh, for the last seven days. Um, last week on uh, Wednesday, we actually had the equivalent of a, what I would call a nuclear winter. The smog quality was not bad, interestingly enough, but the clouds and the fog had pushed the smokes high up in the air, and we had no sun at all, all day. And literally, it was dark as it was at 9 o'clock at night. And people drove down the street with headlights on. You were, everybody had their porch light on. You had need to have lights in your home. It was surreal. And that was an entire day of darkness um, last Wednesday, and it was based on the, the amount of smoke in the, in the atmosphere. And then that so that's puts additional strain on the, the power supplies, too, because that's not yes. normal. Yes, we've had uh, huge issues related to power. We've had some rolling blockouts uh, in Northern California and Southern California because the or demand has been so high. And also, interestingly enough, when you have a lot of poor air quality and you have uh, blocking of the sun, that really impacts solar generation. So that also makes an issue when you look at electrical uh, distribution. So that's been an issue for us, but it's also happening in Oregon and Washington and uh, Wyoming and Montana and Idaho and Colorado, and um, so it's all over the western United States. So that's been a big issue. And, of course, again, think about how governments are managing those major disasters in addition to a pandemic with evacuations and so on. It's been problematic. And then, of course, the hurricane season has been, oh, my gosh, it's going to be a record hurricane season. We are going to exhaust uh, within the next probably week, believe it or not, Alex, all of the names designated for the 2020 hurricane season, for the Atlantic hurricane season. They're going wow. to blast through all of them, and they're going to have to go to, when they actually do that, and they, their backup names, interestingly enough, is actually where they go to the Greek, uh, they go to a whole series of Greek names, that's the backup names, after all of the traditional names have been uh, exhausted. This is the only the second time in the history of naming hurricanes where they've actually gone through all of the traditional names before they've actually gone to the uh, Greek alphabet. I thought I saw that on a a news forecast this morning um, where they were kind of circling all these potential storms and they they didn't have a name for it yet, but they put the letter X saying that X means that's the 25th storm. And I went, what? Already? Right. Yeah. Yeah. Interestingly enough, the sort of the hurricane trivia is that there are, yes, 26 letters in the alphabet, but there's five letters that they don't uh, give names to because because they're hard to find appropriate names. And that's Q, U, X, Y, and Z. And so, yes, we have blasted through all of them. And now we're moving on to the Greek alphabet. Wow. And uh, all these places that um, for one of the storms, is it uh, Sally? I think it is right now. Yes. Sally, yeah, Sally is, is actually to aiming towards, yes, Louisiana and Mississippi, and uh, they're also looking at the potential for failures of levees, as well as uh, massive flooding, wind damage, and so on. So um, this will be Mississippi, Alabama, and Louisiana, um, supposed to make landfall tonight. So, oh my gosh. And I believe, oh weren't they hit by a big storm a week or two ago as well? Yes. Absolutely, Louisiana was, uh, and that storm actually came 
from uh, from the uh, south and it was moving east. This one is actually moving west, but it's going to not be exactly the same spot, but it'll be uh, going over that area again, which is already saturated with water and lots of damage. So what this means in, in the United States uh, is that we have just had not only essentially nine months of COVID, if you will, but we've had tremendous wildfires, a major hurricane season. And so uh, first responders and and anybody who's in these areas have just been overwhelmed with um, with major issues as, as far as our kind of work is concerned. Well, I've, I've got some questions for you on that, and I think I'll just move that to our second segment because we're nearing the end of our first one here. So um, I think that'll be a great spot to start our, our next segment. So Sounds we're good. talking once again, our monthly chat with Regina Phelps, and we'll be right back. Follow us on Twitter at VoiceAmericaTRN. Get the lowdown on guests, new shows, and your favorites. That's VoiceAmericaTRN. Get ready to go inside the lives of some of the top recording artists the music industry has known. Join host Troy Bronstein every week as he becomes a prince among queens. Troy discusses the careers and past, present, and future projects from these artists. And if there's time on each show, you just might hear some performance gems as well. Listen for Prince Among Queens every Thursday at 3 p.m. Pacific Time at 6 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Are you finding your frequency? It can be described as that space between failure and success. It's the future of digital media. It's finding your voice. It's engaging topics, content, and ideas. Jeff and Ryan discuss the digital media space and all of its aspects. It's about making the mistakes, taking the chances, summoning the intestinal fortitude to step out of your comfort zone, and discovering what you can accomplish when you decide to try, decide to learn, decide that you have something to say, and find your frequency. Live Fridays at 12 noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time, on the Voice America Variety Channel. Voice America programs are now available on your favorite connected device, including Amazon, Alexa, and Google Home. Through streams with Apple Podcasts, TuneIn, and iHeartRadio, listening to your favorite show is as easy as saying the show name followed by the word podcast. Hey, Alexa, play Finding Your Frequency podcast. If that doesn't work, try adding on TuneIn or on iHeartRadio or on Apple Podcasts. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. You are listening to Preparing for the Unexpected with Alex Fuller. Email your questions to info at stone-road.com. Again, that's I-N-F-O at stone-road.com. Now back to Preparing for the Unexpected. Welcome back to the show. We are talking once again with Regina Phelps. Regina, in the first segment uh, at the end here, you started uh, to mention um, you know dealing with multiple situations. Well, we've we've got the hurricane season. We're almost through all the names. We've got the pandemic, um, severe storms. There's wildfires that you mentioned. The air pollution. How do we deal with all of this? Because I I thought I heard. Um, 
one uh, news report not too long ago of uh, actually just a few days ago where people that were being told to evacuate for some of these storms that are occurring were afraid to evacuate because of COVID-19. They didn't want to catch anything. Mm-hmm, and unfortunately, mm-hmm. I, I, I think there was a horrific story of um, a grandmother and her grandson, you know, dying in their car because that was one of the things that happened. Yeah, How, yeah. Would, it's actually, it, it's, a, it's a huge concern uh, on, on the management of other disasters within the pandemic. Uh, and certainly there has been a lot of preparation. So the, the responders and city and county governments in the United States were not sitting on their hands. They've been planning for having multiple events at the same time during the pandemic. However, still, they, it's easy for those things to be overwhelmed. There's some, some good news and sort of some bad news. So the example that you mentioned, Alex, is a, is a tragedy where people are afraid to go to a shelter or afraid to evacuate because they're fearful about where they might go and they're concerned about catching COVID. Part of that is a little bit of a lag of information getting out because many governments have really worked hard to try and find good alternatives for that, but people still have a lot of fear. The the good news part of it is that because of the tourism industry being so significantly impacted, what governments have been doing here in the States is they've been procuring hotel rooms instead of putting people in shelters in many cases if those are available because there's there's such a wide um, uh, wide amount of rooms available because of the lack of people traveling. So that's been sort of a good news story. But the bad mm-hmm. news is, is that still it's overwhelming. Uh, it's, it's difficult for them to acquire volunteers to be able to manage any shelters or deal with people who have been evacuated, because often the people that do support those shelters or work with uh, uh, with with evacuees during a uh, crisis are often older people in the United States anyway, and, and that's one of their volunteer activities. And, of course, during the pandemic, older people really don't want to be doing that kind of work for all the obvious reasons of the potential to um, to get COVID. So I think the thing that listeners need to think about is that they need to be really prepared for the for the disasters that could happen in your region. So, for example, for you in the in the in the east in Canada, it would be severe winter storms and loss of power, uh, ice storms like you've had before. And people need to be sure that they they are prepared with the right materials at home, the right kits, the right plans, and and the need if if so to evacuate and have a plan and a strategy about where they may go. And that applies also down here in the United States that regardless whether it's an earthquake or a wildfire or whatever it is, you need to have a go kit, you need to have a plan of action, you need to have your important papers, especially in the case of wildfires or earthquakes, where you may not come back to a place that's standing. You need to make sure that you've got those basic things packed, ready to go, so that you can get out um, safely and at least have those critical things with you. Would would you suggest a, a plan A, plan B? Because it sounds like the the government, by using hotels, is starting to think uh, outside of the box, so to speak. Yes. You know, instead of using yeah, shelters, we'll yes, use hotels. So should people do that too? Absolutely. I think they should be looking at, you know, what their strategies are. So plan A might be that they go and stay with a family member that's outside of an affected area. Plan B is that they might look to the government and see if they have uh, things such as uh, hotel arrangements. Uh, Plan C could be a shelter. Um, You know, they could be couch surfing with people. But they need to really have that figured out in advance. And I would encourage people to, if they're planning on staying at a friend's house or at a family member's house, they need to think about how they can do that 
get it, get permission, if you will, in advance or speak to them. And also um, think about how you can do that and be safe with those people because now you're in a living situation with other people during a pandemic, right? So it's not like mm-hmm. in the old days where people could just sleep on your couch and you wouldn't be concerned. Now you have to be concerned about that person who comes to you may have been exposed and therefore may expose a family that didn't have COVID before. So there are a lot of things that need to be thought about, and that's a critical thing that your, your listeners really need to think about now if they're in any area where there could be some sort of regional or um, significant disaster that could be affecting them. Yeah, I think the the self-home um, uh, preparedness stuff is going to uh, really come to light soon. Um, yes. Because obviously it is happening in California. Yes, know. absolutely. You know, and absolutely. From, from the pictures I've been seeing, they look horrific. Yeah, oh my gosh, oh my gosh. It's Yeah, it's unbelievable. It's a little bit like... Uh, it's like, like Armageddon in some ways is how it feels for people that are especially that are going through this. It's really awful. Now, I, I just want to ask a question about um, allergies, because not mm-hmm. only are we in pandemic, we're, we're moving into uh, the winter, cold, fall, cold you know, season, flu season. Um, and like myself, I, like I said before we started uh, talking today, you know, as of yesterday, my allergies are driving me absolutely crazy. So mm-hmm. how do we deal with allergies on that? Is there anything that we need to consider? And um, as a personal question to ask you, is allergies considered an underlying condition that I should be concerned about? Oh, that's a really interesting question. The The thing about allergies is, is that uh, I, people should be managing them as they normally would. So if you take medications in order to deal with your allergies or to minimize the inflammation, if you will, that you're feeling in your sinuses and all the way down the back of your throat and into your lungs, that's something that yep. you need to really do. Because any kind of inflammation like that could maybe predispose you perhaps if you are you're exposed to the coronavirus, maybe you're providing another better little place for that virus to, to get into one of those inflamed membranes in the back of your throat or your nose. So that would be important. I think the other thing, frankly, is that when people are experiencing allergies and they're sneezing or they're coughing, you know, you need to be, when you're out in public, people are going to look at you like, oh my God, get away from me. So I think, um, I think that puts a lot did. of pressure on people that have allergies because people will look at you like, oh my gosh, um, you know, um, I'm fearful that you're infectious. And so you can say, oh my gosh, I only have allergies, but people aren't going to believe it like maybe they did earlier <laughs> in the other days, right? So yeah. I think it puts a, a little bit of pressure on people um, to wear, to be aware of that. I find I, I have allergies as well, but I find that I, when I've been wearing a mask so much outside, that's really been, for me, it's actually been reduced. And I have, and I have so many HEPA filters now in my house that my ear, my ear is pretty good inside my home. So maybe get a HEPA filter. Well, I think things are okay inside. I just happened to be walking my dog yesterday morning and a gust of wind came up and all this pollen went straight in my face. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Wonderful. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Yeah. And after that, everybody did start to uh, look at me, you know, like, are you all right? What's, you know, stay away. Yeah. Yeah. Right. 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 Get away from me. Yeah. 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 So you, you mentioned, um, uh, mm-hmm. something about, uh, you know, volunteers and people getting burned out, you know, can we look at, uh, organizations, you know, with, um, crisis management teams, how should they be dealing with things right now? Because they're already dealing with <clears throat> the pandemic, you know, mm-hmm. and most of them already have their day role responsibilities, yep. you know, making sure things happen. 
And now we've got other situations occurring. Do you have any advice yep. of, of what should be, could be happening with these people on crisis management teams? Yeah, I do, actually. But, and let me just start with sort of an overarching kind of comment. And this sure. is what, I, what I, I hear from so many of my clients is like, you know, we're just tired. We're burned out. We're, you know, we just need this to be over. And I think, and I totally get that. I'm right behind you, you know, or maybe I'm in front of you. I don't know. I've been working on this for nine months. Um, but I think what I would ask all of your listeners, and this is what I say to my clients, is that, first of all, we need to acknowledge, and I mean really deeply acknowledge, that what we're going through right now, this is our life. Now, that sounds like a kind of an awful thing to admit, but that's really true. The pandemic that we're dealing with now and all of the issues, so masking, social distancing, people being isolated, uh, you know, club businesses being closed, all of this, and the stress, and people, kids not being able to go to school or whatever the situation might be, this is our life. And what I would say to you, Alex, at least certainly in the United States, <clears throat> perhaps even in Canada, that... This is going to be our life for the long and foreseeable future. So even if a vaccine is miraculously approved, which I'm not counting my, um, no, I'm not counting on this, but by the end of the year, it's going to take months. And I want to emphasize the word months before it's actually in people's arms. And it would, could very likely be the end of next year before a sufficient number of people are vaccinated. So if you keep that in the back of your mind, this is our life, and this is a mantra that I kind of say to myself because I, you know, I, I, I used to have a great life years ago, um, actually before, <laughs> before March, but now it's very different. <laughs> and so what I say to myself every day when I'm feeling especially really depressed about this, I, I always say to myself this, this is my life now. I used to have another life, but I don't have that life anymore. I have this life, and I'm going to have this life for the long and foreseeable future. At some point... I'm going to get another life. I don't know what it's going to look like, and I don't know when that's going to happen, but it will happen at some point. And I think the first thing that we all have to really work on is for our own personal mental health, because you got to start with you, right? I have to start with me, that this is what we're going to be doing for the long period of time. So that's the overarching message that I think we need to keep in mind. I don't like to say the new normal. This is not normal. This is our life, whatever it is right now. And we're not going to go back to what we used to be, I don't think. And in fact, some ways, the longer this goes on, I don't, I hope we don't go back to exactly the way it was. I mean, I used to love my old life, but I hope maybe I've learned something. I hope maybe I create something new or different or that it's better or um, that I just don't go back to the way I was because that would be a waste of months or years um, when I could have actually been expanding or doing something different. So that's the overarching message I have for for the listeners to sort of start with before I talk about crisis management. Any thoughts on that, Alex? Well, I agree with you about the comments with new normal. You know, uh, that I can't stand that. that mm-hmm. You know, no, what you can't define normal, so let alone right. try to figure out what the new normal is. And, right. you know, and going through a crisis or the pandemic or any situation, you know, the idea is to come out the other end better prepared, you know, stronger, more resilient. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. there's no way I want to go back to where things were before. I want to be better right. positioned, you know, moving forward. Right, right, right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I think, I think part of it is that we have to uh, daily for each one of us is that we have to 
kind of think about our own mental health and what we're doing and the, the messages that we're saying to ourselves and our brain and how we're, we're managing that. So that's the overarching message. Now, crisis management teams, you know, I would say to you, they are not immune to being burned out or overloaded. And most of my clients have actually taken the, the crisis management team that's been managing the pandemic, and they have pretty much shrunk it down to a very small group of people because really we're on maintenance mode for the most part <clears throat> in many of my clients. I mean, certainly things will get worse in an area, let's say, or they'll get better, but there's a small group of people that are kind of monitoring what's going on. Most of the vast majority of my clients are not back to work. Uh, I think the largest population of people I have back to work is around 10%. Um, now, there are some clients of ours that are like utilities that have people still in the field, of course, doing their work. But people in office-related environments, the vast majority of them have 5% or less of their people in their offices. So they're all working remotely. And so it's <clears throat> the management of it from a perspective of what's, you know, there's not a lot of new uh, different things that have to be managed in, in an acute way every day. So most of them are on really what I would call kind of a maintenance mode. They're, they have a small group of people monitoring things. They're issuing a weekly report. They're doing a weekly briefing with executives, but it's that kind of maintenance. So that's important. But even then, what I would say to you is that there still should be staffing charts developed at, for every crisis management team and rotations. So one of the things that we tell all of our clients is that you should always have at least two people for every role on a crisis management team, ideally three and what I would say to you is that you should literally have a staffing chart with a rotation schedule so that anybody who's, you know, that you're on call for the week, let's say, and then at the end of that week, you're not on call anymore. And then the next person goes on call for the week after that. And if there's three of you, then there's a third person that goes on. And that if an activation occurs, the only people that are going to be standing up initially are going to be the people that are actually on that week versus having everybody start to respond because we're going to just be fried if we keep having everybody deeply engaged in managing it. I have one of my clients now who I have not been able to convince that they had to do rotations and they've been aggressively managing the pandemic in many, many countries that they operate in. And they just called me a couple of weeks ago saying that they're all fried. And I just, I just look at them like, are you kidding how did, you, how did you let yourself get in this position? Because if anything else happens to you, how are you going to manage it on top of all of this? So the first thing I would say to you for your listeners is they have to have a staffing chart. They have to do a rotation. And there has to be a process where people are doing this and they have to be leading by example. So the people that are in the leadership positions of a crisis managing, they need to understand that when it's not their time to be engaged, they need to be doing other stuff and not attending phone calls, not participating in everything. They need to take a break to recharge themselves. Well, those people also, too, I would assume, many, maybe not all, but they would also have to be dealing with you know, their home situations. Right. You know, which, you know, how are you going to deal with that if you're focusing on your organization so much? If you're burnt mm -hmm. out there, you're going to be burnt out at home. Right, right. And I'm, I'm concerned that as we get into the fall, um, this is going to be a huge issue because uh, the cases are very likely to increase. The pandemic is, is expected, at least in, in the United States, to get a lot worse. And we're just going to be running on fumes. We're running on, many of my clients are running on fumes right now. And I just beg them 
I beg your listeners, think about this. If it gets worse in the winter, you're not going to have anything to pull from, no energy. And so you've got to be thinking about rotations, staffing charts, and literally taking time away from managing the pandemic in your company. Yeah, I agree. And I think that's the perfect spot to end our second segment. We are talking today once again with Regina Phelps, and we'll be right back. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. The special needs community is made up of many individuals, from children with Down syndrome to autism and ADHD issues, to those who may have suffered a brain injury. On More Than Special, host Jermaine Suford and her guests explore topics that are of interest to special needs children and adults. Our program is a forum for parents, caregivers, and experts to come together to discuss relevant topics. Listen every Tuesday at 8 a.m. Pacific Time and 11 a.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Tune in every Friday to get your weekend kickoff early. Join the legendary G. Keith Alexander for What's Hot Harlem America. The flagship show of the new Harlem America Digital Network has something for everyone. From the latest in entertainment to empowerment, health and wellness, and more, we'll bring you a variety of fresh viewpoints, voices, and ideas. What's Hot Harlem America with G. Keith Alexander can be heard every Friday at 1 p.m. in New York and 10 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Planning for college? Tune in to Getting In, a college coach conversation for tips, techniques, and insider perspectives. Hosted by Elizabeth Heaton, a former admissions officer at the University of Pennsylvania, and featuring her fellow admissions and college finance experts from Bright Horizons College Coach. The show shares what colleges are really looking for and how to highlight your hard-won achievements for the best chance of success. New episodes air every Thursday at 4 p.m. Eastern Time, 1 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com. listening to Preparing for the Unexpected with Alex Fullen. Email your questions to info at stone-road.com. Again, that's I-N-F-O at stone-road.com. Now back to Preparing for the Unexpected. And welcome back to the show. We are having our monthly chat with Regina Phelps. Regina, you were talking about the crisis management team, and during our break, you said that you still had a few more um, suggestions for everybody. Yeah, what I'd I, I like them to be thinking about. So we've talked about staffing and rotations. That's super important. But there's several other things that I think would be really critical for them to, to look at. First of all, I hope all of them are actually developing incident action plans. So let me just briefly describe what that is. In the incident command system, which is what we install in most of our clients, there's a, there's a planning process called an Incident Action Plan, or an IAP. And essentially what it is is it's a pretty simple document. It includes the overall status of what's going on, kind of what the key objectives are, what people are working on, and then kind of their regular reporting cycle. Those ac- action plans are super helpful for going back historically and seeing how you're managing to make sure that you're really working all the issues that you need to and, and, and kind of closing them 
the door on all the things that needed to be worked on. So I, I would hope that your, your listeners are actually developing something like an incident action plan. And if they don't know what that is, they can certainly Google it. Um, I've written lots of articles about it, but you can find lots of things on the, on the web about it because that's a critical planning tool. And if you're, and if you're organized, you know, that's going to help you be more efficient as we go through this process. The other thing that I think is really helpful is if uh, crisis management teams are doing uh, regular debriefing sessions about how it's going. So uh, several of our clients have asked us to actually run these for them. You don't need somebody from the outside to do it, but you can, of course. But the idea is you want to bring people together and really talk about what's working, what needs improvement, really listen honestly and openly to feedback and then make changes. Uh, this could be done in a group setting. Uh, it could be done in a survey. Um, and some of my clients, in fact, are, I'm just embarking on doing a whole interview process, 30-minute interviews with an entire crisis management team individually about what they are thinking about and then developing a plan of how they can improve their process. Because many times people don't stop and reevaluate how they're doing in a crisis until it's over. But this isn't going to be over Uh for another two years. So (laughs) we better, if it's not working the way you want it to, you better change it now because you're going to be crazy if you don't. So these kind of debriefing sessions, these sort of after action reports, I'm calling them interim action, interim uh, after action reports, uh, are really important because that will improve your process and make you as a group a lot more efficient and effective and not be cranky about something that you're not happy with. Yeah, and and you really do need to uh, evaluate your lessons learned as you go through. If you, as you just said, you know, another year or two yet, if you wait that long, a lot of the things you're going to have forgotten by then. You know, what did we do? And you'll you'll start to imagine what you did, and you're not going to make the right actions down the road because you will not have done it, uh, as you say, on an interim process. Right. Right. Yeah, so I think it's super smart to do that, and it ties also going back to the planning process I talked about earlier. I think the last thing I would say to you is I'm starting to see many of my clients now where they're actually being acknowledged both um, both in uh, senior letters publicly acknowledging, uh, senior leaders publicly acknowledging uh, the contributions of the crisis management team, calling people out like in team meetings or in company-wide um, uh, town hall kind of meetings. So I, I would encourage... Um, your listeners to think about acknowledging, really acknowledging the people that are doing this work. Because most crisis management teams, you're, you're doing this on top of your regular job. So they yep. need to be acknowledged. And I've had clients of mine paying, paying cash bonuses to people as well. Um, so I started seeing that in the last uh, 30, 60 days uh, as an incentive because people have been just killing themselves, um, working in their regular job and in their crisis management team job. So I think companies should consider acknowledgement and things such as incentives because, again, we got a long way to go before we've actually solved this problem. Yeah, two, two, you know, two years is quite a yeah. long time. It's a big activation. But, you know, to that point then, Alex, the, the issue is is that we're working the pandemic, but just as you see with the wildfires and the hurricanes and everything else we're having, is that we have to be ready for the next crisis. And that's really important. And, I, and that really speaks to what we talked about earlier about spinning off a small team and so on. But that also means that we have to find some ways that we can introduce, if you will, some training and some learning opportunities for people. But you have to do that really carefully because we already know people are really overwhelmed. 
So, you know, how do you do that? How do you, and I have, to, I have some ideas I'd like to share with folks because, you know, we're still going to have ransomware attacks. We're still going to have cybersecurity breaches. We're going to have all these other things like earthquakes and et cetera. So how can you get people to be thinking about other, other things besides just the pandemic? There is something that we've done in our client population for many years, and I, and I, I call it ripped from the news. It's um, a simple way that you can actually design an exercise. And I'm talking about a little baby exercise uh, to get people thinking about what they would be doing. And so uh, the concept of Rip for the Nude, just, just imagine, Alex, if you're sitting in your home right now having a cup of coffee and you're looking through the local paper of the community that you live in, or maybe it's the um, paper from Toronto, the Globe, or something like that, and you're flipping page to page. I will tell you that in most papers, almost every page has an exercise on it. You just don't look at it that way. It might have a power outage. It might have a cyber breach. It might have a ransomware attack. It might have a, uh, a windstorm that knocks out power. It might have a flood. It, you know, an active shooter. It's got a zillion things. And if you stop mm-hmm. and look at every one of those little vignettes, imagine if that would be an interesting little tiny exercise that you could do for your crisis management team. You could do that on a virtual phone call. So take some interesting story that you saw in the, in the globe this morning and say, okay, great, I'm going to turn that into a little exercise. And so you take out the salient points, points of the story and you then introduce it to your team. And you could start by maybe doing an assessment saying, um, okay, is this going to be a crisis for us? And you sort of walk, if this happened to us, you know, what would that mean? And should we activate our team? And the answer would may come back, yes, we should. Okay, well, great. Well, what are we going to do? Let's build an action plan. So what are the objectives? What are the key things we need to be working on right now to manage this event? That could take 45 minutes, maybe an hour at the most. And you've actually had a little practice by looking at something that could happen to you and that, um, that they've have worked a different part of their brain, a different muscle, and that helps us thinking about being ready for something else. It does. It kind of gets people, um, because it's real, you know, they know you're not making it up off the top of your head. You're pulling it out of the paper. And by the way, kudos to you for actually knowing what one of the Toronto papers was. The Globe. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. I've done a lot of work in Canada. I've read The Globe many times. <laughs> um, so when you when you actually sit in front of, well, it could be anybody, you know, really that, that you do this for, and they know that this is actually a real situation. You're not making this up. And, yep. you know, they, they tell us in business continuity that, um, you know, take a look at what, what other people are doing. And you could be reading mm-hmm. this article to see this is what happened. This is what this organization or community or whatever <clears throat> did. Would we do the same thing? You know, mm-hmm. would that impact us the same way? What can we address it with what we have? Where are our deficiencies? Yep. You know, it could yep. really bring that awareness and uh, skill gap. You know, to the to the uh, forefront. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. One of the things that I really encourage my clients to do is they, they should always use Google Alerts as another mechanism of delivering narratives to you that are helpful for training and exercises. So I, I don't know if you use Google Alerts. I use it a lot. And so Google Alerts, of course, if you go to Google and you Google Google Alerts, you're going to get a page that says, you know, what do you want to know about, essentially? And so uh, what I do, if I'm looking for ideas for a client for an exercise, I might, let's say that they're in uh, healthcare or hospitals. I could put hospital, and then I could put ransomware. 
and that's going to be the two search uh, the two words that Google will search for. Then I could put hospital and I could put cyber attack, or I could put hospital and active shooter, or I could put hospital and earthquake. And you know what? All every day, Mama Google is going to be out there looking for all those great topics. And once a day, I'm going to get an email with all of those topics about those two key search words. And I will tell you, if you're trying to make up an exercise or trying to think about something in your industry, it's a great way to have stories delivered to you, and you could take those and run with them. And it's uh, and you're not even having to look for them; they're going to be delivered to you, which is great. Well, yeah, and the nice thing about that too is if um, you know because it's a real situation that you're being notified on, the things that worked well, you can for you know, a, a competitor or, a, you know, a, another community, whatever, you could look at your own stuff and say, hey, why don't we do that exact same thing? We That would exactly. enhance us. You know, exactly. It, you know, it, it's not just looking at the negative stuff. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. The other thing that I use, the other thing that I use uh, that for too is that many times executives want to, um, they want to know, you know, are we the only is it just us, or is there are there other people that this is happening to? And and yes. you can actually share information that helps promote your program because they're seeing. Oh my gosh, look at look at what's going on other places, and that is important too. So I think all of that can be super helpful when you're looking at um, at uh, educating your executives too, so they understand your your program and what you do and what you provide. So. Take all of those opportunities of what's happening and knowing what's going on in your industry and um, use them for training, use them for education, you know, send that up to your executives so they understand the value that you provide in business continuity and crisis management for your company. You know, in one of our very first talks, probably about two years ago, you had an expression for that. Um, Mm -hmm. uh, Now, I wish I could remember what it was. I call it covert marketing. That's it, covert marketing. Yeah, See, I remember it, it, even two, it, two years ago. <laughs> yeah, very good. So, yeah, covert marketing. So the idea of covert marketing is that, you know, in our, in our industry, in our business, if all you say to an executive is, oh, my gosh, you're going to be so happy that I'm, I have a great program for you because when the bad thing happens, um, we'll be ready. And they might say to you, when was the last time the bad thing happens? And most times, and most of my clients, they have to say, well, you know, it hasn't happened in, I don't know, a year or two years, five years, 10 years. It's never happened. Um, and so that doesn't build your program or provide confidence. And so the idea is if you can talk about the kind of what you're doing to prepare and get your company ready, uh, that is covert marketing. You're educating people, but you're not, it's not, um, it's not under the guise of, traditional marketing, if you will. So I'm a big fan of covert marketing, especially in executive teams. Yeah, I, I agree with you. I see it actually in um, project management as well. When issues mm-hmm. occur or risks occur, you know, the, the project sponsor, director, whoever always says, well, has anybody else experienced this issue or you know, mm-hmm. has got this risk? You know, mm-hmm. they, they do ask that. So yeah. if that's oh, happening absolutely. project management, they're certainly going to ask it in, in disasters, you know, disaster planning mm-hmm. and all that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Right, and it's great when you can say, oh, but, and as a matter of fact, yes, and you can pull out a list of people. Because, I mean, that is one of the things, the great things about monitoring that is that you can build a great uh, stash of information that's available to you that will really help you in your program. Absolutely. Well, believe it or not, we've already got under four minutes left. So, <laughs> time flies. Do you have any I know uh, it does. 
final comments that you, you'd like to uh, bring forward regarding, you know, the current situation and uh, COVID, et cetera? Yeah, I, I would. And, and, I, and it's really about people's mental health. Um, what I'd like to say is that here in the United States, there was a, a recent study that just came out that was on the JAMA network, and that's the Journal of Amer- Amer- American Medical Association. And they were looking at uh, depression uh, in the United States. So I'm just speaking about the United States, but I think this is probably applicable for most countries right now in the pandemic. Uh, what they discovered in surveying uh, people before the pandemic and after the pandemic is that there was a threefold increase in people reporting depression and significant feelings of depression. And what I want to say about that is that people need to really understand that mental health is a really important issue that we need to be looking at in this pandemic, not just for ourselves, but for our coworkers, our family members, our kids. Uh, The people that are under the greatest pressure, frankly, are uh, parents with young children at home or kids that are trying to be educated at home. That's a big deal here in the United States, maybe not so much in Canada. So I think mental health issues are critical, and employers need to think about what they can do to help support employees that are really struggling. And perhaps they're not saying anything because no one wants to say, oh, my gosh, I'm depressed or I'm feeling despondent. But I will say to you, Alex, these studies that are being released, I mean, three times of an increase in depression in just six months here in the United States is dramatic. And I would really ask all of your listeners to really think about that and to think about for themselves, for their coworkers, their family members, and to and to reach out to people that you see might be struggling because a lot of people are really, really having a difficult time in this pandemic. And as it gets into the winter, I fear that it's going to get worse. Yeah, I, I think, uh, well, I tend to agree with you. I know a few people that are kind of starting to uh, struggle a little bit with the challenges. You know, mm-hmm. um, nobody can do everything. And right now, Unfortunately, some people feel as though, you know, they are having to do everything and they're having difficulty coping with that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a huge issue. It's a huge issue. So I, I really hope that we take it seriously, not just for ourselves, but for others, and that um, we reach out to people that look like they might be struggling. Because sometimes people just need um, to talk to somebody and, and we, they, people need to know that somebody cares about them. And, and I think we all need to, yeah. to be aware of that for ourselves and others. Well, maybe we can expand a little bit on that in our, our next chat next month. Um, Sounds good. You know, it, by then, you know, there may be more studies and, you know, who knows where we will be then. Mm-hmm. You know. mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, I agree. we've got under a minute again. Regina, it's always a pleasure to chat with you. Thank you so much for all your insights again. You're welcome, Alex. And I just ask you and your listeners, I hope that all of you uh, stay safe that you continue to practice all the things that we're supposed to be doing, including masking, physical distancing, and good hand hygiene, and that you um, take care of each other because we need a, a lot of kindness in this uh, pandemic to help all of us get through. Yeah, and I echo uh, Regina's thoughts. And same back to you, Regina. You know, I know Thanks. you know, the West Coast is basically on fire right now, so please, you and your friends, stay safe as well. Thank you so much, Alex. Appreciate that very much. And to everyone out there, in the meantime, stay prepared, everybody. Thank you for joining us for Preparing for the Unexpected. Please tune in for another edition featuring your host, Alex Bullock, next Thursday at 6 a.m. Pacific Time and 9 a.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. We'll see you here next week.